Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Sexed in the City. This week's topic is the power of female sex. It's season one, episode five, where Carrie wakes up and finds a thousand dollars cash on her bedside table, which I would not be mad about. Some topics we get into are what is the difference between a professional girlfriend and just a professional, women exploiting men for advancement and some of the strange ways they can make money, and then we dive into professional daters or serial daters and kind of break that down for you. So listen on. I hope you enjoy. I had a great time recording with Chris, who is a Samantha. Hi, welcome to Sex in the City. I am interviewing Chris today for Season 1, Episode 5, where... Carrie wakes up one morning um, after a night out with an architect and finds $1,000 cash on her bedside table. So the overarching question for this episode is, um, what is the difference between a professional and a professional girlfriend? And let's start where you're going to be coming at this episode as what character from the sex in the city do you think you relate to the most well I'll definitely say that before I got into my serious relationship that I'm in now I was a Samantha hands down I was all about advancing my career and kind of stepping on anybody who got in my way in terms of the dating world and if they weren't worth it to me they didn't get any of my time so I was kind of serially dating one to the other and then when I finally found the person who really was right for me and treated me great that I didn't feel like I had to throw away in the garbage, I tried to break up with him twice. And uh, each time he kind of sat me down and convinced me that I'm doing the wrong thing and that I'm he's not like the other people I've been throwing away and that I'm basically being an idiot by letting him go. And so, but showed it to me and proved it to me that I was being an idiot and kind of woke me up, which I think is very reminiscent of Samantha when she finally ends up dating the movie star whose name escapes me at this point. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? When she, when she comes around to her senses and decides boyfriends are okay in the past. Yes, and especially when she gets cancer and he supports her by shaving his own hair, which is a very full, beautiful head of hair. It was kind of a signature. So when you find someone that's supportive, it's worth staying with them and realizing that they're worth getting moving on past your old ways of kind of dating, having fun, and then tossing them away, moving on to the next thing. Okay, well, while you were in your early Samantha phases, if you found $1,000 cash on a bedside table after a hookup with a guy, you'd be like, hell yes. Absolutely, no question about it. I probably wouldn't see that guy again, but I wouldn't be mad that there was money left on the table. Definitely not. That's a new pair of shoes. That's a new bag. Yeah, I would definitely take the money, and I probably wouldn't expect to see you again. Um, I know Carrie in this episode... As he's walking out the door, he says, okay, I'll call you, and then he's gone, and she realizes they never even exchanged numbers, and that's when she finds the money, which I'm like, perfect ending, kind of, so I would keep that to you, um, and since you have a legal background, can you kind of dive into 
what might be the legal difference in the professional girlfriend versus a professional, as in a prostitute, for this episode that Carrie asked. Definitely. So in the specific case of Carrie, I touched on a little bit before we started recording that she didn't really go out that evening with the intent of finding someone to exchange money for sexual services. So in her specific circumstance, the fact that she woke up to a surprise gift of money the next morning doesn't necessarily place that intent to go out and seek that exchange of money for sexual services. And in the law, most of the time, in order to prove a crime, you have to prove that the intent to commit the crime was there. Not all the time, but most of the time, and certainly in this circumstance. So a good lawyer would definitely be able to get Carrie off in this instance if the uh, police came a-knocking and said, did you have sex last night and the guy gave you money? Um, But also, I, I would also note that if she went out with him again or started kind of going out with the idea that she would seek men who she thought would leave money the next morning, then it gets a little bit more murky, a little grayer than whether she went out with that intent to exchange money for sexual services. And it may have a little bit more difficulty in showing that she wasn't uh, intending for that to happen. But that could still be hard to prove, right? In a court of law, if you're like, oh, I'm just attracted to people that work in finance because I like the stability of them. Definitely, no question. I think a good lawyer could get somebody off um, in that circumstance. You probably would have to show a long continued history of the person going out and soliciting sex for um, monetary value or advertising in some way, whether it be by word of mouth or hanging out on street corners. Um, now I'm not certainly not versed in how prostitutes garner their clientele, but I would say that you would probably have to show in this circumstance that there is some kind of objective uh, action that Carrie is taking that the reasonable person would consider to be the action of someone seeking sex for money. I bet I wonder if this is any different with Instagram now because girls posting their little thotty shots. I bet that would get used against them in a court of law though. So interesting to say especially if you're kind of if you have girls who say you know hit me up DM me get you know come out with me it's it's it gets really murky. Like I said, you could end up maybe in a legal quagmire, but again, a good attorney, you could say that a lot of people these days use Instagram more as um, fluffery than advertisement. They're really just using it to show themselves off and not as a way to obtain clients. Yeah, but I definitely know for younger girls, there are sites kind of like seeking arrangement. Mm-hmm. Shout out if anyone is looking <laughs> for one, I guess. Um, for extra money to kind of pay for school and their expensive shopping habits during school, would that kind of qualify as the professional? Or since it's kind of you're getting on a website, I guess it would be legal versus a professional girlfriend aspect since you are signing up to essentially be a sugar baby. From what I understand of sites like Seeking Arrangement, it's more about having a platonic relationship with the person that's providing you with these expensive items and uh, maybe shopping money or romantic dates expensive dinners Um, I know I had a couple of friends have men reach out to them on other dating sites saying they were looking for someone to spend you know um, companionship time with Mm -hmm. just to spend um, dinners with or take on vacations just to show off um, that would they would then provide you know these lavish gifts and dinners and trips in exchange for their companionship, which 
again, it gets illegally murky uh, at that point, but you have to ask yourself, is the person really exchanging sex for these items or are they just exchanging their their friendship, their companionship to a lonely person for these items with potentially having sex as like a side, little side benefit. Negotiated off the website. I think that's how the website is legal is that they make connections between people for companionship and it's not an escort service. Precisely. And then offline, it's very hard to prove what someone is doing in their free time. So Samantha says women should use whatever they can to get ahead and men and women can be equal opportunity exploiters in this scenario. Um, I would agree with that. I I think there's definitely dual men use women and then back and, and vice versa. Certainly. I mean, we've all heard the age-old story of a guy just hanging out with a girl to bang her. There's no, you know, that's something that every girl worries about forever and ever. If a guy's just using her for sex, your mom tells you from age 12, men only want one thing, you know? So it's not unheard of in our society that men kind of exploit women for the sexual gratification or their bodies. And so the flip side of that, you could say, is women using men for these more material items because sometimes some women don't get the same gratification out of a sexual relationship as they do from obtaining physical goods as a man does. So stereotypically, a man would probably pick sex over a new pair of shoes or a new coat uh, any day of the week. But a woman maybe would take a little bit more pause and think about it. Hmm, do I want sex more or do I want this new Prada bag more? And I would posit that 90% of women would pick the bag over sex that may end up being mediocre at best. I think it might be a different mindset as to maybe men can't get laid without paying for it sometimes, whereas a woman can always go out and get laid, but is she always going to be able to buy herself a Prada bag? No. And so I think that might kind of be where the dueling mindsets come in. Exactly. I think that's an excellent point that women aren't at a loss or a lack of finding sexual partners. You know, men always say, oh, you have it so easy. You could walk into any bar any day of the week and leave with a guy. You know, whether or not that guy is the pick of the litter is another story. But (laughs) it's easier for a woman to walk into a bar of 50 men and walk out with a guy than it is for a guy to walk into a bar of 50 women and walk out with a woman. So I think your point is extremely valid. Yeah. Um, So do you think exploiting men is wrong for advancement? I think that... Exploiting anybody is wrong. I think if you're going to have a a relationship or a companionship with somebody who knows the deal from the get-go, there's nothing wrong with it. If you're joining one of these sites like Seeking Arrangements where uh, a grown adult man is going into it knowing that he's going to be providing you with these fancy items and dinners and trips and services and maybe even some cash that... I don't see anything wrong with it. As long as he knows from the get-go that's what's happening. Now, the problem arises, of course, when, like you touched on earlier, he also thinks he's going to be getting some sexual action, but he doesn't really lay that out in terms on the site because that may or may not be legal. So the problems I can see may arise when they begin this companionship, this the man seeking a sugar baby and the woman and things start to progress. And then the man thinks that he's owed some kind of sexual favor or sexual gratification. And I think that's probably where things get a little bit tangled and murky in terms of exploitation. Yeah, I definitely think 
I don't understand girls who are on dating apps to go out and have expensive dinners. Like, there's websites. you Like, it's wrong if you're doing it to someone and they think you might genuinely be interested in them, pursuing a relationship, kind of building a future together, when there's so many options online for you to do this in other ways. And, I mean, even on social media, people just reach out and offer you money and to buy you things. And a lot of the times, like, maybe they want a picture of your feet. Yes, I've had that happen. I've had men ask me for pictures of my feet in exchange for money. And that's a that's another really interesting legal quandary because you're not really giving him anything illegal. You're not doing anything wrong. I actually, I touched on this a little bit earlier before we started recording too, that I sell stuff online. I sell clothing and thrift clothing and bags and accessories. And I've had people reach out to me on the sites that I sell shoes on Um, asking me for pairs of old used socks that I had worn and pairs of old used slippers that I had worn because they get this weird sexual thrill from people's feet. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I've sold a couple pairs of dirty socks in the past. but um... I would too. I mean, it's a sock. I mean, (laughs) if people want to pay like $20 for my used socks, by all means, I can go buy five more with that or more. Um, I know there was a huge thing before about, I mean, I'm pretty sure it probably definitely still happens, but girls wearing underwear for like two days in a row and then selling it to men. And they would set up a P.O. box, so it was completely anonymous. No one would ever know. But, um, I mean, I think that's also okay because, yes, it's you're exploiting someone for money, but the guy is offering you pay for it. It's like market. It's capitalism. That is America. So make your money. Sell your dirty underwear. I could not agree more. I think if what you're doing is above board, you're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to get anyone else in trouble. And you're making it safe for you. Exactly. And you're empowering yourself and you feel good about it. You should do it. My qualm with the selling the underwear thing is that in my mind, I would never be able to not think about the creepy... 350-pound middle-aged guy in Minnesota who was wearing my underwear on his head. I would never be able to get that image out of my mind, so. It's so weird thinking about just, like, your underwear laying around some mom's basement. Yeah, right. And if you can get past that mental image, then more power to you, right? Like, I'm all for you being able to do that. If you can... If you can live with that and not have nightmares about the deep, dark, creepy things that happen to your underwear that have parts of you on them, then then you do you, of course. But I could I could never get past that that mental block to jump from the selling of the socks to the selling of the underwear. Yeah, that's a little different. <laughs> a little bit. Um, this is also the episode where Charlotte lets a famous artist paint her vagina so she can land him for an exhibit in her gallery. I was really proud of Charlotte. That's so unlike her. I agree. I think it was very out of character, but she knew exactly what she wanted in that situation. She knew exactly what she was going into, exactly what she was getting. There was no surprise. There was no, in my mind, no exploitation because they both knew of the arrangement. She knew that he wanted her to show her flower to him so that he could paint it. And she knew that by showing her flower, she would get the artist that she wanted for her uh, studio. So I think it was a thrill on her for so many levels. Like, that I think for once Charlotte was kind of realizing the power of a woman and how this one thing could help her land one of the most hottest artists. And so I think she realized that and she kind of went for it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think it was a kind of a realization for her that this is like, this is my body. I am a woman. I am beautiful. I am powerful. I can like, 
feel empowered and beautiful and powerful by using my body in a way that makes me feel feminine and sexual and thrilled and and like someone is appreciating what my body is and what my body means and what it means to be a woman. Because it's not like she was just showing her punani to anybody on the street. She was having a very famous artist paint a beautiful reproduction of what's arguably one of the most beautiful organs on the human body. You know, that's your reproductive system. That's where new life comes from. There's all sorts of um, different aspects of that that kind of tie together and it being this like moving, beautiful, empowering, I am woman, hear me roar kind of scenario that I also feel very proud of Charlotte for. Yeah. And I mean, I think she knew in that moment he could paint anybody and he wanted her. Okay, but since we don't have any personal experience exactly with um, other than selling socks, but nothing else for us being on websites like Seeking Arrangement where we have more exciting stories to share, um, you actually brought up two phrases that I really liked, professional dater and serial dater. And I thought that were, those were like really relevant to kind of modern times, especially with dating apps and the access we have to dating. So could you kind of take a minute to say if you would describe these two differently, like one as a professional dater versus serial dater, or how you see them as similar? Absolutely. I think my first exposure to what I would consider a professional dater was on a kind of a joking meme that I saw on the internet of someone saying, it was almost like a a menu that they had posted saying, you know, for $20, I will come with you to Thanksgiving dinner and act as your significant other so your relatives will stop asking you, you know, when are you going to start dating somebody? When am I getting grandbabies? And for $30 at Thanksgiving dinner, I'll hold your hand in front of your parents. And for $50, I'll kiss you goodnight in front of your grandmother. And then for $100, I'll talk with your dad about politics politics and sports, you know, after dinner. So it made me chuckle, but it also made me think that there's probably a decent market out there for people who need dates to occasions, not unlike Thanksgiving dinner, but the possibilities are really endless. I mean, dates to prom, dates to weddings, dates to reunions. I'm sure it was. It's a great plot. Like somebody hired a date for a wedding. Oh, wasn't there a movie? Um, the girl next door, where she's a porn star, and he wants to hire her to go as his wedding, his prom date, oh, right? Oh, that sounds right. I too. think that might be it. I, uh, but there's really an untapped. I mean, maybe untapped only for me. Maybe there's plenty of people out there utilizing this market of being a professional dater, and you know, a lot of people don't want to go to things like high school reunions or marketing events or weddings of important people in their lives by themselves. You know, it's some people find it very embarrassing to show up to events like that alone. And so there's a very significant possible market out there for people who would attend an event with you as your significant other for the evening um, for monetary value. And in my mind, like you said earlier, That's capitalism. That's a great way to exploit the market as opposed to exploiting another person. And if you are very good looking and very romantic and are a great conversationalist and you think that you can be someone's escort, someone's date for the evening, then again, as long as you're not putting yourself in danger and harm's way and you're not towing the line of prostitution, then I think that's more power to you and you should embrace it. You're giving me a bunch of business ideas. <laughs> I don't mean to I be, like but... I like to think I'm great at a dinner party <laughs> if someone wants to hire me. Yeah, I go to all of these, um, 
like networking events for attorneys in New York City and on Long Island. And I'm always, I always feel, actually a great story is that recently one of my coworkers invited me to go to the um, Hispanic American Bar Association event with her. And I am not even slightly Hispanic in any way, but she asked me to go with her so she didn't have to go alone. And all night, all I was doing was chatting up these major, I mean, the very first um, Supreme Court, Latina Supreme Court judge was just sworn in at the beginning of this year and I got to chat it up with her all night and crack jokes and kind of expose my coworker to other people in this field and make these great connections just by laughing at their jokes and telling stories and relating to them. And so that made me feel great in the moment because I really felt like I was helping her advance her position in the Latina community and helping her really make these networks. Now, of course, I didn't charge her for going with her because I also was making these connections. But there's a really significant market, I think, for people who want to help other people in social scenarios like that. Um, This kind of reminds me of the movie Hitch just because he was trying to help men get out of their heads and just be better at dating and kind of win over that girl that maybe you've always been too awkward to, which I think that's great. It's just kind of why there's certain people I would prefer to have with me at events than others because I know they're outgoing and they're the social butterfly and it just, just make the whole evening easier when you kind of have that lubrication to kind of keep the conversation flowing. Absolutely. And the irony is always that when you can be great in a fake setting, but then in your own dating life, you have trials and errors all the time. Like Will Smith's character in Hitch, where he was great at setting other people up. But when it came to his own dating life, he was like, you know, a fish out of water. He had no idea what he was doing and constantly was screwing up. So he was totally choking with a girl. He really funny. was. Yeah, it's, it's very true. It's an interesting application. I would be so curious as to whether the people who consider themselves professional daters or professional Um, dates to things um, would be as enigmatic in an actual dating scenario where they were genuinely interested in the person and not just trying to put on their marketing persona. Um, That makes me think of something which we'll get to in a little bit. But how would you describe serial dater? You kind of made it sound like this is what you were before. So yeah, I would definitely have considered myself a serial dater two years ago plus um, where I was going on multiple dates a week. I would have Saturdays where I would maybe see two guys that day because I was in a headspace where my time was really precious to me. And like I said earlier, I work three different jobs. I have a dog. I support myself. I have a lot of obligations that I put ahead of or I did put ahead of things like dating. And so when it came down to spending my precious few free hours with somebody else, I wanted to very quickly or as quickly as possible check them off the list. So I wouldn't spend more than a day or two talking to a guy on a dating app before I actually met them in real life. And if they just wanted to be a pen pal, they got checked off the list. I moved right on from that because I'm never going to be able to tell if I'm actually into you before I meet you. Anybody can sound brilliant and clever and witty and romantic over a text message but once you get them in real life they may flounder like will smith did in hitch when he was trying to date eva mendez so you never really know until you sit down in front of a person and so for me 
sitting down in front of that person was the ultimate test. And if I didn't like what I saw or there wasn't great chemistry or the person was flubbing it, then I moved on very quickly to the next person. And I kind of prided myself on being able to evaluate somebody relatively quickly, but oftentimes they didn't make it difficult for me. So I was on a date once with a guy who was um, an electrician. And we've been talking for a couple of days and I really liked the uh, fact that he was very down to earth, really blue collar, worked with his hands, very smart, but about things I knew nothing about, you know, about how to wire panels and how to do all of the rigging for a house or a major building. And I liked that he knew about things that I had never even thought about really in my professional or academic life. We went out on a date. He seemed really nice. He was very good looking and half and we were out at a restaurant a nice restaurant korean barbecue in queens and the clientele of that restaurant on a friday night was mixed it was everybody from every possible background you can think of and this is a white guy which is important to the story because about 40 minutes into dinner he was telling me a heated story about when he and his friends had gone out to a bar the week before and a couple of black guys walked up to them and were like trying to step up to them and cause a scene and this guy I was out on a date with screamed the N-word in the middle of a crowded restaurant in Queens in the oh, middle of his story. I would be humiliated. Like it was totally fine to say that in public. And I stopped him and I said, you can't say that. And he had also fought, he had, he had said the F-word first. And he's like, what, fuck? I can't say fuck? And I was like, no, 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 that word is fine. But I was like, the word you said next isn't okay. And he said it again. And he goes, what, this word? And I said, yeah, that word. And he said, oh, no, 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 I've been saying that my whole life. I'm never going to not say that. So it wasn't just that he said it. It wasn't just that he knew it was wrong. It was that he was never, ever going to stop saying it. He was never going to change. So like that made me realize pretty quickly that I never needed to go out with him again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there was no need. It was, sorry, he got I'm crossed off. Exactly. <laughs> sorry, I'm always going to be racist. So in my mind, it was like, okay, sorry, I never need to know anything else about you. Yeah. Oh, God. So for me, a serial dater is somebody who dates in rapid succession to kind of determine what they don't want and cross that off the list. It's almost like the opposite of what most people do. They date to find what they do want. In my mind, a serial dater dates to find out what they don't want. So they go on maybe quicker dates, maybe in more rapid succession, and they figure out what it is about a person that is an absolute no-no for them. And when they get that absolute no-no, that deal breaker thing, they add it to the deal breaker list and they know that they never need to go out with another person who's like that or has that quality again because it's one that they just can't live with. Oh, I like that because I think that's something people say with jobs. It's like, you know, even if you find a job that you don't like, it's great for learning because then you find out what you don't want to do. And I think that's so true when you come at it at dating too, to just say yes. It also reminds me of something we kind of touched on in episode three with um, the bridesmaid for hire because she was talking about in her book, the she, was, she always asked the brides that she works with, how did you meet? your husband and one response she got was I gamified dating and her whole thing was I made it more about quantity than matching for like the quality of people and being super picky I just said yes to everything and she would do like four coffee dates a day just to meet people because she knew the more people she met the more likely she was to like find her match Exactly. And that was kind of the way I thought about it. Not as far as four dates a day, certainly, but in the way of that, 
the more people I see and the more dates I go on with these people, the more I'll know about myself and what it is I'm truly looking for in a person. So sorry, everyone I dated before 2012, but you were really just experiments for me to figure out what it was that I needed at the heart of my true relationship that was meant for me at some point down the road. Yeah, I think serial dater is more doing something for yourself personally as to like trying to find your partner. And professional dater kind of seems more of like a matchmaker or like the professional girlfriend comment from Carrie. Definitely. Um, so would we think that every single character on Sex and the City is kind of a serial dater? I would almost go so far as to say that Carrie and Samantha are more serial daters than Miranda and Charlotte because I think Charlotte at the heart of her is really looking for her soulmate and I kind of think she always was and she would make the mistake of thinking someone was her soulmate despite their flaws or obvious red flags sometimes and maybe it's just because in my mind Charlotte's such a wholesome individual and I just think that she could never really be cynical enough to have the mindset of oh I'm gonna date you just to figure out whether or not you have qualities I don't want in a person. I don't think Charlotte could ever gamify dating. I don't think that's part of her personality. Yeah. And with Miranda I think that she was so jaded. Yeah, I think she was so jaded that it almost didn't phase her when she would go on dates. It was like, all right, this is a date. Am I going to like it? Fine. If I'm not going to like it, also fine. She kind of never split hairs with anything. She didn't really analyze it or overanalyze it and utilize that information later. She just kind of took it as it was. And if it wasn't what she wanted, she moved on to the next thing, but would continually make the same mistakes, I feel like. And even when she finally found Steve it was difficult for her to realize that he was the one for her because she was unable earlier in her dating career to kind of realize what it was she really wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Miranda, would you say, like she's an attorney on the show, so would you say there's certain professions in that they, they can impact how like a woman's date see them? Like, are men imitated by certain professions, like attorneys? Oh, absolutely. There's no question in my mind. I, um, I've been on more dates than I can count where starting off by talking about my professional career was almost a non-starter for the other person. And in terms of just talking to people on dating sites, once I told them I was a lawyer, a lot of people didn't want to talk to me anymore. Um, and I think it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's not only that I'm a professional woman but it's also my specifically chosen profession that I'm a lawyer I think a lot of people distrust lawyers or find them to be a little bit sleazy sometimes there's a big stereotype that goes along with being a lawyer that they that they lie a lot that they're untrustworthy that they uh, exploit everybody for their own personal gain Um, and though I don't think that I'm like that (laughs) um, I think that a lot of people are kind of turned off by um, certain professions especially uh, lawyers I think Michelle and I joked about this in the very first episode was that her being a lawyer and me being a lobbyist, we probably had the two most hated jobs in America down. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that definitely sounds right. I mean, it's almost like saying, it's almost like when you go on a date nowadays and one of the first things the person says is, I'm a Trump supporter. And you're like, oh, well, this was nice, but 
I don't need to spend any more time with you than the last five minutes. You know what I mean? There's something that they say that's really a non-starter for you. And a lot of the time saying I'm a lawyer is a non-starter for people. It's just so polarizing. Yeah. And kind of speaking of professions, when we brought up the hitch, I can't imagine going on a date with somebody and then be like, oh, I'm actually a dating consultant. Like, I help people get dates and do well at dates for a living. I automatically wouldn't trust them. Absolutely. I don't think that's unreasonable whatsoever. Somebody who professionally analyzes dating situations and gives people ways to almost cheat the system by getting yeah. a person to like you, by by showing certain traits that they otherwise... It's almost like you're, you're teaching them how to fake their personality to reel people in. And so for me, that would be a, a non-starter. Because you're teaching people how to be fake and not be them real, their real selves in the interests of being able to attract the attention of someone they otherwise wouldn't be able to attract the attention of. I wonder how long someone would have to lie to me before I would be okay with them being a dating consultant. I think we'd have to be engaged. Just tell me you're a regular consultant until then. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like even, I don't know, that even day of, in, of wedding, if I found out, it would be, it would be tough. I was like, is this real? Yeah, because I would be like, are the what last how many thing? years, right, how much of this is you putting on a persona because you know that's what I want to see because you knew that was what was going to get me here. What is the true you? Right, exactly. And I've... Dated so many people who hid their true selves for too long that I'm just going to be jaded in that way. And my favorite story uh, to that aspect, to that exact point, is that in very early law school, right after I graduated college, I dated a guy for two years and we were long distance because we met in college. He lived in Philly and I was going to law school in New York. And um, so it was about a three hour ride to get there. We saw each other every weekend. But we clearly weren't seeing each other during the week because I had class and he worked. Well, um, about two years into our relationship, I got a phone call at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday because he had been arrested for drinking and driving, which was another issue in and of itself. But he asked me to post his bail and get him help, you know, get him out of jail that night and um, then stopped. And I could tell there was something else that he wanted to tell me. And I said, you know, can you... I know there's something you want to tell me. What else is going on? And he said, well, I got pulled over coming back from a convention. Okay, what kind of convention? Oh, this organization that I've been part of for a while. Oh, what organization? Thinking in my mind, like, neo-Nazis, like, kill children. Something crazy, right? Something yeah. wild. No, it turns out that he was leading a secret life as a transvestite and would go out at night as a woman. Completely dressed head to toe as a woman, had a woman's name, had a whole different woman's personality, would go to bars, would chat up people. And in that life, over the last two years, he had met other people in the same lifestyle and they had been attending these meetings and organizations and, and you know, conventions together. Um, and now there's nothing wrong with living that lifestyle, but the problem comes in when You've been dating me for two years, and the only reason I'm learning about it is because you got arrested, and somewhere out in the world is a mugshot of you in full drag dress. Yeah, that's why. That's the only reason he told you, because you were going to show up yep. and, like, and see. find it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, and that's two years of lies, leading an entire secret life. And that's, that's, like, what I'm saying. Like, you can't get to the altar and tell me that you've been putting on a fake personality for me for the last however many years or months because you're professionally your profession is teaching people how to act one way so that they get people to be attracted to them yeah that's crazy yeah 
I was saying before that I kind of felt like I have a double life with the podcast because there's sometimes I feel uncomfortable telling people I have a podcast about dating and relationships because I think they're going to think I am just talking to them for material. And I like, I wouldn't go on a date with someone just for material. Like, I wouldn't do that. But I don't ever know, like, where the line is as to, like, when to tell them or not. Um, I did specifically make a Tinder account, and in the bio it said, I am not here for dating and relationships. I am here to find people to interview. And, like, obviously, like, everyone there knew up front. And some people would still be really rude about it. They would, like, match with me, and I'm like, hi, are you interested in being interviewed? They're like, no, because you asked me on Tinder. I'm like, it literally says it exactly word for word in my bio. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't go on a date with someone I was genuinely interested in and then make them the punchline of a joke on a podcast. Maybe if you turn out to be crazy, absolutely, a few episodes later, but, like, my personal life is my personal life, and I wouldn't put that out there. Like, some things from the past are fine to laugh at, but, like, there's a very clear distinction. (laughs) I've always said, and I believe this, that there are no bad dates, only great stories. I think yes. I think always say yes to the date because you at least get a story from it. Absolutely. Um, I do want to talk about red flags because Carrie brings up with the architect, she saw some red flags and she chose to ignore them. And having been on so many dates, what are some of the main red flags that you see with people? Okay, really big red flags are when guys are on their phone all the time. Because they're either they're either not paying enough attention to you on a date, which is completely disrespectful. I don't think anybody should whip out a phone on a date, especially a first date. Um, it also indicates to me that not only am I not important, but there's somebody or something that's more important to me in this moment when I'm with you face to face. And the real reason that that's a red flag is because it means very likely, in my experience, that they're on another dating app, they're texting with somebody else, um, or they're talking to multiple people at once. And if you're going in knowing that, that's fine. But if you're weeks or months into a relationship with somebody that you think is getting serious and you think is going somewhere and you still see them constantly on your fo- their phone when you're together, red flag. Another one is if they have multiple social media accounts on the same social media site. Huge red flag. I dated a guy who once had three Instagram accounts. He told me one Instagram account was for his own personal stuff and he didn't care if anybody followed him it was like his fitness account and he posted like shirtless selfies he's like oh I don't I know my friends don't want to see this so I'm not gonna like blow up their feed with shirtless selfies which made total sense to me you know what I mean and then he told me that his second account was his real account that he wanted all his friends to follow where he posted you know his daily things and whatever he did and then his third account was his like musings account where he would post his like music lyrics or poems or like his sensitive side and that he followed a lot of artists and art people on that account well he means models that post bikini shots so it was all bullshit because not only was he talking to other girls on these multiple sites on their dms but he was also using it as a way because you had to he had to be requested on his other two sites that he wouldn't let me see so he never let me request them despite the fact that we were dating three months and um, therefore, I couldn't see his activity. So you know how you can tell when somebody's liking someone okay. or commenting on someone's picture? Um, I couldn't see that on his other two sites because he wouldn't accept my request on either of them, telling me that I didn't need to follow him on those two sites because they weren't they didn't really matter and he rarely posted on them anyway. And one was really just for fitness and one was really just for poetry and art. That's a red wow, flag. Wow, that is a red flag. Yeah. Another red flag is when a guy won't tell you his last name uh, when you start talking or when you start dating. Like, 
won't tell you his last name, so you can't look him up, so you can't find any pictures of him. That's a huge red flag. Don't even go on a date with that person um, because it means that they're either in a relationship and they don't want you looking them up on social media because you'll find out that they're in a relationship or that they have some kind of really upsetting information about themselves outside of the fact that they're in a relationship like they've been arrested or they're wanted for murder like there's some crazy information that you could find by googling their name that they don't want to give it to you i think that's a huge red flag they don't want to tell you their real name big red flag um another and maybe not so obvious red flag is um when a guy and i hate to say this but 90 percent of the time it's true when a guy 30 plus still lives at home with mom and dad if you have a profession and you have a job and there's no reason to not be moving out of your parents house outside of the fact that they're still providing for you and they're still giving you home cooked meals I think that's a red flag you can visit mom and dad on the weekends and get your Sunday dinner with them I visit my parents all the time my dad still cooks for me but if you're able to support yourself and live on your own and the only reason you're still living with mom and dad is because they pamper you huge red flag yeah, just if you want to be babied. And, like, I get, especially in New York City, it's expensive. But Absolutely. Still roommates. That's right. still more acceptable, even to be in your 30s and have roommates. Absolutely. There's and, again, if you're not financially stable and you're between jobs or you're struggling or it's really difficult, if there's a legitimate reason to be living at home, like if you're going to graduate school and you're trying to save up money because you're paying yeah. your way through school, I totally get that. But if you're financially stable with a salaried job and you can afford lavish cars or expensive gifts or expensive trips or expensive dinners and you're still living at home with mom and dad because mommy makes you a home-cooked meal every single night and daddy fixes all of your stuff when it's broken, that's problematic for me. If you're living at home with your parents so you can afford your seeking arrangement girl, that's problematic. Exactly. Huge red flag. It's a big no-no. It's going to be a deal breaker for me on that one. Mm-hmm. I would say a red flag for me is I always try to pay attention to how they treat staff at restaurants. Absolutely. Because I worked in a restaurant for so long, like it very much matters to me. Like people like basically jumping over their bar over the bar to try to get someone's attention and just like rattling their drink incessantly it's so rude I always pay attention to how much a guy tips if he mm-hmm. ends up paying for the meal because I think that's a big not necessarily red flag but an indicator of this person's genuineness because if they are a good person and the meal was good and the service was good there's no reason the tip shouldn't be good yeah agree you have any final stories you want to leave us with well, I will I will tell one of my personal favorite stories. Um, this was two or three Octobers ago, um, or maybe August, right before. I was still in law school, so maybe this was longer ago than I'm willing to admit. But it was the very end of the summer. I was out at a bar in my hometown with my girlfriends. We were having a girls' night. It was karaoke night. And we were hammered. We were singing all sorts of weird songs from like the early 2000s, late 1990s, um, just really having a great time. And there was a guy there who was there with a bunch of his dude friends and he was gorgeous. Okay, and lo and behold, middle of the night, he comes up to me and starts chit chatting. But he says, I know you're here with a bunch of your girlfriends. I just think you seem like a lot of fun and you're beautiful. Here's my number. I'd really love to take you out sometime. And that to me was great because he saw it. Not only was he confident enough to come up to me, not only did he compliment me, but he saw that I was with my friends and not actively trying to pick somebody up, and he respected that. Mm -hmm. So that was a big plus for me. I was was very attracted to that quality. So I called him up a week later, and we hung out, and we went to another local bar, but we had dinner. And he, at the end of the, and we had a great time. We were there for a couple hours. And at the end of the date, 
he told me he was going to go and pull the car around for me, which was also really gentlemanly. It was very big plus for me. I enjoyed it a lot. And he pulled the car around to the front of the restaurant, but called me from the front of the restaurant instead of coming back in and said, go out the back door and I'll pull the, I have to pull the car around back to the back parking lot and pick you up there. And it kind of was weird to me. It was a little bit of a red flag. And I, but I said, okay, because I needed to leave the restaurant. So I met him around back and I got in the car and I asked, you know, what happened? You know, what happened to pick me up out front? And he said, well, as I was walking back to my car, I noticed that my ex was parked behind me. Now, I live in a very, very small town. So anybody driving through the main street seeing an easily identifiable car like this guy's orange Jeep was, would probably recognize that that's that person's car. Well, whenever she decided that he was there and realized that that was his car, she parked behind it and waited for him to come back. And he said to me, if she had seen you getting into my car, I can't promise that she wouldn't have attacked you. And I couldn't tell if he was joking or not. So I let it go and I said, you know, I'm never in my hometown really. I'm going back to school in a week. I'm going back to Long Island. Um, I don't have to deal with this girl. I don't have to worry about it. So he came and visited me on Long Island every weekend, which is like a two hour drive from my hometown. So it was pretty decent of him. He would always bring my housemates gifts, six packs of beer, bottles of wine, great guy. Important to the story, he was an NYPD fireman. And this is important because after six or seven weeks of him coming to visit me while I was in law school and, you know, saying that he was falling for me and wanting to build something real, um, I got a text message from him on a Saturday morning saying, uh, hey, can't wait to see you tonight. I'm going on shift this morning, but as soon as I'm done, I'm going to drive right out to you. Um, can't wait to see you. I'll text you when I'm leaving. And he never texted me when he was at work because he was a firefighter and I didn't really want him to be texting me while he was, you know, being important. So that evening rolls around. I don't hear from him. I called him once, twice. Don't hear from him. Figure something came up. Next morning, still haven't heard from him. Now I'm getting worried. Did he die in a fire? Did something horrible happen to him on his way here? Was there an accident? A week goes by, I'm checking obituaries, right? I'm like looking at local medical records, accident reports, like going really crazy, thinking that something horrible happened to this guy because now it's over a week and he was, the last message I had from him was, can't wait to see you tonight, I'll text you when I'm leaving. And then radio silence. Weeks go by, I slowly start to get over it. And my best friend stalks him hard now on social media because she's convinced something else was going on. And she sends me a screenshot, this has gotta be a month later, of him with his ex who wanted to attack me the night that we went out on our very first date. So they got back together. So in my mind, I said to myself, you can be everything that a guy is looking for. You can be perfect. You can be smart. You can be a, a good listener. You can be compassionate. You can be thoughtful. But if you're not the level of crazy he's looking for, you're just never going to push his buttons. You're never going to do it for him. So that was my takeaway from that, that I'm just not everybody's cup of tea. I'm not everybody's crazy. Yeah. And so, and that was okay with me because I learned that I'm never going to be a psychopath girl and that's okay. <laughs> Guys love their crazy. Yeah, for so. real. We'll leave you with that food for thought. For and they're married season. now. They got married last year, I think. So good on them. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. 